dun, dun. They say they say they can hear us. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully we're all good. So back to what I was saying here with Chuck Yates, Kurt Coburn, and we have a big week of today. Got the election going, which you know we've been covering the Texas Railroad Commission uh, race. For, so well, it seems well, it seems like two years. I don't know how long <laughs> it's been, but got it. So how many? Who, yeah. who else has been to Antina Ranch like three times? <laughs> yeah. Like I have. All right. So uh, let's dive actually, into that. I want to start there just real quick because I tweeted this out this weekend, and I and I truly meant it. I think the railroad commissioner race this year, despite the theatrics and all that, was a really good thing. Um, I think Luke Warford ran a good race. I think Jaime Diaz ran a good race. Sarah Stodgner pump jack all that ran a good race because and uh, wayne ran his ra- a good race we talked about what the railroad commissioner is so i bet the public education on what it actually does is higher than it's ever been before we talked about zombie wells we talked about mm-hmm. winter storm yuri we had sb4 implementation and the discussion there we fixed it so we talked about the perils of too much government not enough government etc so i actually think it was good for our business to have that done because I will say this and I know I've said it a million times, but I truly mean it. Mean it. If we're going to avoid Europe, it's going to be done by Texans and within Texas. Amen. It's going to be done outside of Washington, D.C. And we may not all agree, but we need to circle the wagons so that it's us Texans deciding what we want to do and keeping D.C. out of it. Because if we don't regulate our own, if we get into problems, DC is going to come out. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Twitter was talking a lot about Texas Railroad Commissioner race over the last year or so. I mean, when have you ever seen passionate discussion on any social media platform about the Texas Railroad Commissioner, right? So, you know, public education, don't know what to what degree, but to some degree has been, um, you know, at least heightened a bit about what the Texas Railroad Commission is, what they do, how it's important for uh, Texas energy system. So, you know, I like to think that we played a part in that. We should give a lot of fucking screen time to uh, some of these candidates. (laughs) I had everyone on but Wayne. Wayne, uh, I I never, and I didn't ask any of the candidates. They reached out, but I had, I had each one of them on except Wayne. Wayne never reached out, but he did speak at our Empower conference. Yeah. I do want to give some education speaking up is this is, you know, is election day and you're hearing, we've heard a lot over the last few weeks that our democracy is at stake. Well, the good news listeners is that we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional Republic. So you can rest easy today. <laughs> we have something to, there yeah, you go. there's a silver lining there. Our democracy is <laughs> not at stake because we're not a democracy. <laughs> Amen. Well, I heard some stats today that I, I find pretty intriguing. If you, Look at the a recent poll that came out. Who is better at protecting our democracy? The Democrats only had a four percent uh, uh, advantage over the Republicans for protecting our democracy, and it ranked something like sixty second of the issues that voters actually care about. So I don't know what to make of that as a closing argument because that was their closing argument. For the Democrats, I mean, does it rally the base? Is you know, are Democrats going to go vote because of that? Is it the only thing they had? I can't figure that one out. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. 
Well, what we do know is that democracies are short-lived and and violently. So let's be glad we're not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kirk's the bearer of uh, great news today. Telling the truth here. Now on to the Weimar Republic. (laughs) Did y'all see uh, Elon's been? I was about to say Elon's been pissing some people off, but there's been multiple reasons. Greatest troll. Of all time, greatest troll of all time, um, and, and he spent forty-four billion to do it. Yeah. That makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. Here you go, I putting up troll. some mad money to do it. But uh, no, he he tweeted out that he's voting Republican uh, this election cycle, and he said, "Hey, I've, I've voted Democrat um, historically up to this point." And so, I just love that. Uh, Let me add one bit of nuance to that, just real quick, and then throw your point in there. He actually wasn't saying I'm pro Republican. He was saying I'm pro divided government. Yeah, which he I thought said, was an yeah. interesting way to look at it yeah. too. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, yeah. and um, but I love this. Uh, there's a lot of confusion around, you know, the past few years. Republicans and like oil and gas lovers hated Elon Musk, and he's like, oh, he's liberal, greeny, renewable, and now everyone that's liberal hates elon musk and thinks that he's you know he's a trumper and he's uh so just i aspire to be like elon and not from a wealth perspective but i just want as many people to hate me as (laughs) elon like that's just gonna be awesome when you can just collectively piss off the entire world kirk uh, people ask me about that what have you learned at digital wildcatters i go Frack slap wakes up every morning looking for an enemy. <laughs> just, uh, you need an enemy. You always need an enemy. You always need. Yeah. That's the thing. You have to have. Need a straw man. An enemy. Somebody to go after. But no, it is interesting to your point that he's being called a MAGA Republican and he voted for Biden. Yeah. I mean, but uh, yeah. hey, one thing real quick before we leave elections and we're going to do a deep dive next week. So um, Mark uh, Meyer wants to come on and we're really going to study the races and, and what matters. You've got committee chairman in both the House and the Senate. If if uh, the Senate and the House both go Republican, that'll swap. We'll talk about that. Interesting in the Arizona Corporation Commission right now, it's a three two advantage for the Republicans, but two seats are on the ballot. That has a lot to do with potential renewables and the IRA in Arizona, because What's been happening over the last few years is the Republicans have held, you know, zero emissions by 2030, you know, initiatives like that. They've held it off because of the Corporation Commission. So three, two Democrat could be interesting. So that's their regulatory body because I I saw your notes on there. I mean, like Oklahoma's Oklahoma Corporation Commission, and that's who regulates oil and gas. But I was like, Arizona, I was like, Arizona doesn't have... Yeah. Gas, to my knowledge. I mean, I read uh, this morning that Arizona, Phoenix, especially Phoenix, has the highest inflation of any city in the United States. It was at 13% last month. What do you think is the temperature there for going fully renewable if that's going to increase energy prices? Energy prices, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the, the public views renewables as, as uh, more expensive. That's part of the issue. I mean, the, the Democratic claim, the environmentalist claim is, oh, energy prices are so high because of hydrocarbons and that renewables are cheaper. So it'll, it so I'm it's, sure it's, our audience, someone in our audience actually knows the lower cost of energy in in in, um, in Arizona. It could probably send us a message. Yeah. yeah, I'm guessing. 
funny thing on Phoenix. I was on TikTok the other day and just like my whole feed is like things in Phoenix, things in Phoenix. And I'm just like, dude, Phoenix must be popping. Like that's all and my the Chinese are good. They want you to go to Phoenix. That's all my, yeah, that's all my TikTok feed is. And then I realized I had my VPN on my phone set to Phoenix, Arizona. So it's <laughs> me all these local things. So I will, yeah. I will say if you need to get a place to eat in Phoenix. I, I can give you some restaurant tips, but no fantastic. one's putting out any content about energy costs there. I, I will say this top five of my life meal of my life, Scottsdale, Arizona, F and B. And the coolest thing about it was the, I mean, the meal was just phenomenal. You weren't going to say Mastro's. I, I was, I, I was, I was like, this guy's going to say Mastro's. <laughs> oh, okay. wow. Come on, man. I'm, I'm a huge foodie. No, actually the <laughs> coolest thing about that meal was the lead singer of tool is an Arizona guy and he makes wine in Arizona. He's and a friend his, of yours. Isn't he? No, nah, I've never met. What's uh, his name? Maynard Keen or whatever. Anyway, know. but the lead singer of Tool made a Cabernet that was really, really good. So Fantastic. I'm kind of I'm kind of for global warming in Arizona because that'll just heighten his winemaking ability. But anyway, <laughs> as long as the humidity stays pretty low. Yes. Yeah. The, Water uh, is the enemy of wine. Someone's going to take it's Maynard gonna, James Keenan. So Maynard James close. close. So he's lead singer of Tool, Perfect Circle and Pussifier. Someone that doesn't like us is going to pull a clip of Chuck and just like, I'm pulling for global warming in Arizona. Just in Arizona. Just want them to fry. <laughs> well, you, you know, when I did a podcast on the energy policy draft, uh, David Ramsey Wood said, you know, that if he was prime minister of Canada, he put a coal plant on every corner because if we could raise the earth's temperature five degrees canada would be bearable so well, they'll, actually, pull, they'll pull that clip no first. i'm actually gonna make a twitter thread about this i meant to ship it last week but just an interesting thought experiment here let's talk about this real quick <clears throat> just assume that we're able to develop all the technology to where we can control uh, atmospheric uh, gas concentration so hey we can say whatever uh parts per million of co2 we want in the atmosphere mm -hmm. who determines what the ideal balance of that is because you got to think like places like russia i'm sure russia would love to be thought out a bit and have uh access to more land and natural resources and so now you get into this like you know the opposite side of it we need co2 or else <laughs> we go back into an ice age so who gets to be the uh bearer of what the ideal temperature and concentration of co2 is for the planet I mean, the Illinois Basin right now. I thought you were about to say the Illinois government. I was like, no, that, was, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. that was a weird take. Yeah, but... <laughs> totally going down the wrong here. Stick with me just a second. No, the Illinois Basin right now is having its highest uh, crop yields ever. And yeah. it's supposedly because it's a degree, degree well, no, and a actually, half warmer. There's actually know? a NASA study that, I mean, shows the greening effects over the last 20 years. It's because of higher CO2. So, I mean, that makes sense short term. Another thing, I'm just going to dump out all my, my weekend thoughts here. Um, Oxy announced this uh, huge direct air capture project on King Ranch down in South Texas. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to decarbonize not only assets on King Ranch, but from the surrounding areas. And maybe a really stupid question, but I don't know. And I want to get someone on to talk about this. But what effects does that have on vegetation around the surrounding area? I mean, if you're sucking all the CO2 out i mean do plants have anything to live off of i mean do you just kill all the vegetation on king ranch i'm sure they're you know king ranches i'm sure they did plenty of environmental studies but i'm just kind of curious about what second order effects are of that so 
I mean, that's actually a great question. I've looked at quite a few direct air capture deals. Um, that question hasn't actually been discussed. But when you start looking at these other sort of um, sort of nature-based solutions, enhanced rock weathering to like plants that grow faster and capture more CO2, I think the big question is, is what is the impact to the rest of the environment? Yeah. I don't know if you've been down to South Te or down to um, – uh, to Surfside and seeing the huge direct air capture on one of the LNG plants, but it's gigantic and massive and super loud. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that. And, and it doesn't take in consideration, like, you know, the energy required to power these things, how much CO2 is it capturing and what's the effect around the ecosystem. I don't, I don't think those studies are known because we haven't had these systems around long enough to know. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, I find that interesting. Have you ever heard our thesis on wills and carbon sequestration? You want to go in on this? Let's go. You want to hear this? This is so great. <laughs> I'll okay. be in the back. Here at Digital Wildcatters, uh, we solve climate change. So uh, realize that uh, we have de we've decimated whale populations over the last two years through industrial whaling We've killed 75 percent of the whale population which whales in themselves are huge carbon sinks you know they take it down to the bottom of the ocean uh 33 tons yeah on you know, average yeah. when a whale dies yeah so but here's the bigger thing is that whale shit is fertilizer for plankton and so wherever you have whales you have big plankton populations so if you don't have whales you don't have plankton plankton sequester 40 percent of the co2 in the atmosphere and so our theory here is that we need to start the new sea world and breed whales and increase the plankton population and get that natural carbon sink back up. Like I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but when you look at this compared to, I mean, you're talking hundreds of millions of trees that would have to be planted equivalent um, to this. So it's not even apples to apples in terms of um, effects. So we still have a little bit in the way of people. out there but the real problem on increasing a ship goes up yeah, checks it yeah. out and gets gets killed the ship bouncing into it so yeah. um yeah, yeah I mean, we need to we need to figure out that problem yeah well strikes that's one of mike umbro's things is is how many whales are killed by um just being struck by ships and if we farm whales can we use their you know i mean actually in sperm whales a spermaceti to create candles and go back a little bit go backwards a little bit and kind of whale power. Especially interested in the, in the, in the semen. I'm an Nantucketer. I mean, that used to be the, uh, the oil capital of the world at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, there is some interest in whales and, and whaling, not yeah. whaling to kill them, but I am interested in this. And I think we, there's an idea we need to run. With there's there. something, there's something there. So, so wild catters whaling. Jay said that there's a sod farm out there that he does business with. He's also interested to know the answer as well when it comes to direct air capture. And then, uh, TL Strickland said Oxy will be making more from carbon capture and sequestration than they ever did off of oil and gas, which, you know, got to give Oxy and, uh, Vicky some credit. Um, know what they're doing with uh direct air capture and you know they've been partnering up with some tech companies i know um to see okay what can we do with the co2 uh once we have it so be uh you know i don't know if oxy becomes a just a co2 uh capture and sequestration uh company instead of oil and gas or 
they focus on using it for secondary recovery on oil and gas assets. But you know, got to give them, got to give them some props because back in 2020, you know, people like myself included, like, what are you doing? You just overlevered yourself buying this Anadarko asset. Now you're getting in the CO2 capture. So, as, as I like to say, the greatest thing that's happened since April of 2020, minus 37 to today, oil going from you know minus 37 to touching 100. I'm smart again. <laughs> Chuck's <laughs> not that idiot we fired. Yeah. You know? Exactly. That doesn't yeah. look so bad, yeah. right? It's crazy how uh, high commodity prices will, will make you look good. Beta, beta always so, seems Speaking to of that, uh, EOG enters into the Utica. Saw some, uh, saw some flack going across Twitter about this. Chuck, what, what do you think? So, you know, they picked up typical EOG pick up almost 400,000 acres in Ohio. They spent less than $500 million putting that position together. They announced a 20-well pilot program. When I originally read this, I said, okay, EOG's going all in mm -hmm. natural gas, mm -hmm. but it's actually in the oil window. So this is typical EOG. They usually go study things really well. When they go into some place, they're generally right when they when they do it. So gotta be really surprised that they picked this over the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you ever did you ever hear did we ever tell you about our Buddha conspiracy theory? I want to hear this one. Okay, no. so Chuck does this podcast with this guy, and guy is a super smart guy, and he's convinced that EOG has a uh secret play that they're building out infrastructure for down in uh, uh buddha up in east texas in um madison county yeah right and so yeah outside of college station so we do a podcast on it and it starts blowing up and you start seeing like comments over on reddit like hey i heard eog's got a big play in the buddha that's developing mm -hmm. and so, so we started seeing like in the internet so um it became this whole like stick if you EOG ever if you buddha. ever want to laugh just uh Go on Twitter Isn't and look Buda? up Buda, Buda Gate, B U D A. I don't know. I called it Buda. I've always some people it Buda. put an H in there, but anyway, we called it Buda Gate. The greatest thing about <laughs> that is I dropped this podcast the next day. EOG has tripled the normal daily trading volume in there's, stock. No way. There's yeah. been there's been three times. Two times after we've worked with EQT, EQT stock pumps. We do EOG stock pumps. Oh, so sick. yeah, we have. I don't care what anyone tells us. We have the ability to pump some uh, major stocks. The, <laughs> but we don't, it. and we don't have any investments in them. So yeah, for the SEC we, listening, I, I, we don't, don't do Yeah, that. don't own any, any EOG. <laughs> this is not intended as investment. Past performance he is not said, indicative He of said Budagate again. <laughs> Budagate will never So never this die. is what I heard, and I have not talked to Greg Kane. So Greg Kane's like an old-school land scout. I mean, he jumps the fence, reads the meter, you know, Love like it. the old guys used to. And his whole thing was basically that there was this infrastructure build out and that if these were volumes from the Permian, the North Path, or if this was stack scoop volumes coming down, you just have big pipelines, mm -hmm. one right mm -hmm. away, right? Mm -hmm. But it, there are actually six different pipelines being built that fan out across Madison County and then gather back at Cleveland. So that was the big guts of his thing that I yeah. couldn't explain. Yeah, I've actually heard that Greg got it right. It's not Buddha. It's Comstock in the Haynesville. And that if you actually look at what they drilled, I heard this at Fuse over a couple of beers. <laughs> if you looked at what they just drilled, there's a massive well there. And 
who would do something like that? Jerry fucking Jones. <laughs> so maybe there's some truth. There. All right, we got we got to go uh, dig into that a bit. But you know, EOG interesting model because historically they've been the ones that they go move into an area. You know, they really spend a lot of time uh, discovering new plays, and so. I'm curious how that business model works moving forward when it seems that we're running out of, uh, you know, tier, tier one shell. So, so, and I've got a question for Kirk on this, cause you're going to know this better than me. I will say this as a statement, but it's really a question to you. I don't see a technology sitting out there that in the next five years we look up and go, Oh my gosh, all this new land is in play, like we did, you know, 15 years ago with horizontal drilling and, and modern fracking. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, you saw what we did in natural gas and you said, okay, if we can apply that to oil, this will happen. And it's not that you could pound the table, but you could at least in hindsight go, okay, I could see how that's happening. I don't see anything like that out there that's going to be a game changer in oil and gas production, development, drilling. It feels from like, a technology perspective. From a technology, is there anything out there that's in the lab or something? I don't. I see mean, it. the the only promising technology is is the small modular reactors on the nuclear side. Yeah. I mean, there are some, there, there's some cool tech there. Yeah. But on the oil and gas side, I think it's incremental. Um, there's, I think, quite a few great investments out there. But let's look at it. I mean, if you think about like carbon capture and storage, for example. Um, I don't know if you remember that project from 2016, the Petra project that was the carbon capture project. It was a billion-dollar project that was put next to the NRG coal-fired fired power plant here in Houston. It's been mothballed because it didn't perform. So yeah. I think um, hard tech is still a place we need to spend a lot of time investing and thinking about. It's going to make it a lot of improvements because oil and gas is going to be needed. It yeah. still powers 80% of Europe. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, let's just go there for a yeah. second. And well, I'll get to that because I've been thinking about Europe for a second. Um, but I'm, ultimately, it's about incremental improvements because we're going to need it. And yeah. there's been such an underinvestment because of what's happened lately. Yeah. That I think we're going to see maybe some massive improvements because of just need, there needs to be more investment. Well, so here's the thing about technology. What's cool about technology. Um, I love technology. I love technology. So what's cool about technology though, is that there's something out there that exists that we're not aware of yet. Right. And so if you would have talked about horizontal drilling in a shell back in the eighties, they would have looked at you and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But those now, two technologies were from the 40s and the 70s. So we drilled our not, first horizontal well in 1937. Yes, yes. But let me get to where I was going. Okay, okay 40s, 37. All right, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, the technology of horizontal drilling, it wasn't really a technological advancement per se in the mechanics of doing it. It was that, hey, we had this underlying rock, the source rock. Mm -hmm. Like that was, I mean, that Probably. was, that was the key. And we there, have right? $10 gas to pay yes. for some experiments. Yeah. And on so it. Yeah. anyways, um, there's not another shell. Like you can't, unless we, you know, disprove thermodynamics and prove uh, abiotic theory that oil comes from the earth's mantle, which 
look, I'm always up for a good, a good theory. We um, need an expert but, like that to come on the podcast. Yeah. Cause I want to talk about that. So yeah, if you're out there, reach out. Yeah. And what about a whale expert too? And a whale expert. No, I've already We're got two. Trying. They okay. reached out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Got some marine bi biologists that actually did studies on whale populations. Um, and look, it sounds like they love the idea. So anyways, uh, <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. Whale sex. Here we go. Okay. Woo! To answer your question, is there anything, any technology in oil and gas that has material step change to production? The fact is in shale horizontal wells, we leave, you know, we only recover, we only recover four to 5% of oil in place. That means that there's 95% of the oil in the reservoir is still there. So I think that there are going to be some really cool technologies that come for secondary recovery. Absolutely. And so that's always, that's always the X factor for me because, um, you know, even if you back out climate, you have to look at our energy source, oil and gas powers 80% of the world, but it's a finite resource as far as we know. And if it's a finite resource, well, then we need to start developing other technologies. That way we make sure that we have the energy that we need to power the world. So, you know, there's always a lot of talk over the last decade or the last few decades about peak, uh, peak oil supply. Mm -hmm. And no one has any clue what that is. But there is this X factor in, hey, if we can figure out how to actually recover the majority of the oil that's in place, I mean, that could have massive massive effects on supplies the, so the one thing i've heard they're doing is is in the eagleford because it was drilled so early on in the shale revolution and you didn't figure out spacing you didn't figure out how big fracks could go that i think there have been some programs started there to go in and refrack old wells particularly mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the old wells that weren't down space so there's well, some what I, I used to do refracts um with our expandable casing so we we're already doing that stuff for like uh <clears throat> chesapeake up in the barnett back in like 2016 yeah. i was going in and all these old gas wells and uh doing refracts on them so stuff like that you know but my uh, point is shell, not shells a... drilling their uh horseshoe right yeah. uh well so i mean look super bullish on human ingenuity and so uh there could be some technology 10 20 years out from now um in oil and gas that we're not talking about today but you know to kirk's point like that's what i always tell mom I, I always tell mom it's like you tell me the price of oil and i can go get you more yeah two hundred dollars a barrel <laughs> i'll get you more i guarantee that yeah so. but this is a good point to ask the entrepreneurs listening like you got an idea come bring it to us let's hear it yeah because yeah, because my only point was in the next five years, is there something out there that we could see materially happening in the next five years? And I just don't see it, but yeah. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. You know. All right. Uh, we, we went from EOG entering the Utica to, man, we've kind of crossed the entire spectrum talking about whale sperm. Um, EOG yeah. entering the Utica. Real Last quick. thing we have. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Tell me what this is about. Chenier so Chenier attending. obtains their first parent level investment grade rating from S and P. Unbelievable. Yeah, which is whole. I mean, how did how often did explain it explain what that means? Uh, it means basically that they're saying that the debt is investment grade, i.e., it's worthy debt. It's not high yield junk, lower yeah. interest rates. Yeah. The point is, this company teetered on the the verge of bankruptcy. My funny, uh, how many times? Yeah, like a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, the problem with being a cat, all the time. Yeah, the problem with being a cat, you never know when you're on life number nine. That's right. But, 
My favorite uh, Chenier story is so we're at Kane and we have a sublet from Chenier and seven. I thought you were still with Kane. What happened? Oh yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the motherfucker who got fired too is like yeah. smacking me. Okay, well, that's great. No, but uh, no. So we had a sublet from Chenier on seven one seven Texas, and when they go bankrupt you know, judge breaks all the contracts. Right. And we were way below market on this and we were just going, Oh man, our real estate costs are going to double. And GSO comes in and gives them 500 million staves off bankruptcy. So we sent a bottle of champagne to Dwight Scott saying, thanks dude. You saved our <laughs> yeah, thanks for saving everyone. We really appreciate that. So anyway, there was an interesting, uh, did he write a thank you letter? He did not write one, but uh, okay. he did laugh. He called us and laughed. Okay, good, good. There was a, I think we might have talked about this on BDE, but there was a story about um, uh, Chenier's founder, Shri Suki, on, uh, I think it was on New York Times a couple of months ago. And really interesting story because he was the owner of the restaurant in Los Angeles where uh, Nicole Simpson was last seen uh, the night that Maze she, Luna. That, yeah, that she was murdered. So he owned that restaurant and just, you know, I mean, the restaurant was just, um, wow. yeah, just wild with everything that was going on. And, um, he ended up, I don't know if he closed it or sold it down, but, um, just did not want to do that anymore. And so he looked for his next thing and landed on oil and gas and LNG. And so it goes and raised billions of dollars, build us an LNG import facility because at that time, this is like 2008 I think. 2009 2004 yeah okay so maybe a little yeah. bit earlier yeah and uh before before shell and raises billions of dollars builds this facility and then all of a sudden we became a massive producer of nat gas and so then he had to go raise billions more so to retrofit it. Yeah, yeah to make it an export facility so um really just wild story there of how he went from restaurant owner to building these massive lng and facilities. now they're investment grade yeah now they're investment grade so my thing I love about, I watched the OJ trial with just, I was fixated on it and they talked, OJ's defense team talked about, you know, going to his house to Nicole's house to Mesa Luna and all that was like hours of traffic. There's no way OJ did it. I drove into the neighborhood cause I was in LA going, I wonder how long this takes to get. It was like three minutes and I saw each one of those places twice. <laughs> They're just all right there. Hey, Chuck. wait a minute. They're still looking for the killer. Chuck. So, <laughs> so, so my, this, my, is, this <laughs> is myth, but myth busters, Chuck edition. So, so my brother Jay actually saw OJ Simpson in the San Jose airport and walked up to him and said, Hey, OJ, I got a line on the real killers. And OJ was OJ freaked out and ran off. I used to tell this joke when I was in kindergarten that's when all of that was happening. And uh, the joke was, what did OJ ask the judge? And they're like, what do you ask? Like, can I have my gloves back? And yeah. like, <laughs> my parents and everyone thought it like, I had no fucking context. Like, why that was funny. I just knew I heard it and I knew it got a laugh. So, yeah. my, my favorite joke along that lines was, you know, OJ did it. He did everything but leave his Heisman trophy there. So. <laughs> all right. We got finger of the week. I usurped it this week. So anyway, let's take a look. more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. 
so the, good. Bu- the Biden clothes. I okay. mean, literally his clothes to America, high inflation, all that is no drilling. What, three weeks after berating the oil and gas companies no. for not pumping more? He tweeted 20, 24 hours after that. So he says that no more drilling. And then he tweets this. Do you know how much six of the largest oil companies have made over the last six months? Over $100 billion. That money should have been used to expand supply and lower prices at the pump. <laughs> how do you expand supply without drilling? Like this is either the, just the biggest gaslighting. Uh, I'm not going to say the biggest because I believe COVID was the biggest gaslighting right. <laughs> experiment. But I mean, just the, the amount of gaslighting here or just fundamental misunderstanding of how oil and gas and energy works you cannot increase supply without drilling well well, last week chuck and i also broke down the not only the 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 net profits of apple amazon and google which way surpass the oil and gas industry not only on an actual dollar basis but on a percentage basis so it's there's not only there's multiple gas lightings going on here yeah Number yeah. one is we all know that that oil prices are set by the global commodity markets, not the company, individual companies. And secondly is, hey, don't look over here because tech is making a killing on all of us that are stuck at home. Mm-hmm. We're using Amazon. We're using Google. Too bad for the small business guys. I mean, should put out of business. But let's yeah. go after the old bad, big, bad oil and gas yeah. companies for raising prices. Well, uh, I remember a tweet in 2020 you know zoom uh the video called zoom um their stockages i mean grew exponentially during 2020 and overtook exxon's market cap yeah and i remember everyone on twitter dunking on exxon being like oh this is a sign of the times you know zoom is now bigger than exxon i'm like how do you guys how can you not zoom out (laughs) (laughs) no pun intended how can you not zoom out and see what's happening and now ever since then zoom has i don't know what they've drawn down but something massive probably 60 70 percent and exxon um is just riding a wave so that's uh it's a sign of the sign of the times but but you know we're we we can be silly and Damn, funny here on zoom, <laughs> zoom down 68 percent on the year <laughs> yeah <laughs> Good thing we don't have any micro content of you saying, damn, I'm good. But in all seriousness, we we can be silly and goofy here on BDE, but I was quoted this weekend. They did a write-up in the Midland paper, and I truly mean this. Energy deserves a thoughtful discussion because at the end of the day, people die if we don't get this right. Yeah. I mean... When you buy energy from a tyrant, guess what? People die. When you spend way too much on a transition, people freeze. I mean, I mean, look need... at Europe right now. Yeah, they're, they're they're going almost against their their climate commitments because they're worried about if it's a cold winter, Europe's and is fucked. Let's just be honest. So I mean, there has been so much shift in the mindset over the last six months. Like one of my friends who is super into climate now a huge supporter of nat gas and oil and bringing sustainability to the industry because if you don't what happens you revert and it's actually negative for any climate work right so people are uh, smart people that are intellectually honest are able to able to see that i mean there was a great article on toby rice who runs eqt yesterday in the financial times about he wants to export LNG to Europe because it's going to lower prices there. And he has a great vision, but it's 
he's thinking about what the what the world needs now it, it, it benefits him but it, it does benefit everyone else and mm-hmm. um i think that is the problem when i got into energy in 2010 and you know people that don't understand it judge it yeah um but it's yeah. a hard you know this regulate is, it make laws about it etc this is hard it's not mm-hmm. a, it's not an easy answer my favorite thing about uh, Chuck being in this article on the Midland Reporter Telegram is uh, he's like, yeah, you know, no one messaged me to say like, hey, I saw you in the in the MRT. I'm like, yeah, no one read that shit. So. <laughs> My mom did. <laughs> Anyways, Thanks, all right. Mom. That closes out our show this week. Appreciate y'all tuning in with us and hanging out with us in the comments. As always, we will be back next week. 10 30 a.m central time on tuesday catch y'all there